0: In this episode of Influencers, CEO of XLR8 and former CEO of Chrysler and Home Depot, Bob Nardelli.
1: I don't think I've ever seen a more challenging time for the CEOs today. There's a million things we could do, Andy, if we were serious about trying to get this economy uh, stitched back together in a meaningful way. The broad range of constituents that a CEO has to try to satisfy. You know, I've always thought about it. If you try to satisfy everyone like that, you really satisfy no one.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Robert Nardelli, CEO of xlr 8 former CEO of Chrysler, former CEO of Home Depot, longstanding GE executive, among other things. Bob, nice to see you, welcome.
1: Thanks, Andy, it's, uh, it's really great to be with you. I look forward to our, our discussion.
0: So let's jump right in. Love to get your take on the current economy. So many different facets to try to wrap your brain around here. Um, do you think we're in for a recession, for instance?
1: Yeah, let me, let me back up for a moment, Andy. You know, I've been at this for uh, 51 years now, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen a more challenging time for the CEOs today. You know, I've been through the situation in 07, 8, and 09, where we had the financial meltdown, but we're able to focus on that issue. Today, we have a plethora of issues that a CEO has to try to address, and certainly recession is one of them. Uh, but we have inflation, we have supply chain, right? We have you know, price increases, we, it, it, the list goes on. I mean, the broad range of constituents that a CEO has to try to satisfy, you know, I've always thought about it. If you try to satisfy everyone like that, you really satisfy no one. But to your question about a recession, um, I've said for months now that we are in a recession. We've had nine consecutive months of inflation. And uh, it was a few few weeks ago, I was on air and, and I said, we were at eight, six that time. And I said, we're well on our way to 10. And it was, you know, the the, uh, the, the show was a little taken back by that comment it's, are you sure, 10? I said, yep, 10. And I, I think we're well into 10, Andy and beyond. When you consider shrinkflation and hidden inflation, it is, uh, it is well, well into 10% or above. And I think it's impacting every individual in our country. And it really puts a tremendous hardship on businesses, big and small, and individual consumers, uh, entrepreneurs, family offices. I don't think there's anyone that isn't being touched by the current environment. And what's most stressful to me, and, and the CEOs I talk to, Fortune 500, mid-cap, small-cap, entrepreneurs is they really don't see us doing anything positive to try and remediate this situation. And we can pick any subject you'd like to pursue. And I can give you a take on at least what I'm hearing. And look, I have the benefit of boots on the ground. I mean, I'm very actively involved in businesses, in advisory, et cetera, et cetera. So I I can bring a realistic view. A lot of people are optimistic. Some are pessimistic. I'd like to think of myself as realistic, because only then, Andy, can you put in place an appropriate set of initiatives to try and fix it.
0: Right. a lot to jump off of there. And let's talk about this recession point. Point well taken about inflation. I mean, it is a problem. The Fed's going to be act, has acted, will continue to act, no doubt. But on the other hand, Bob, when you're out there, when you're in the airports, when you're at the resorts when you're traveling around in the shopping malls, that doesn't feel like a recession now, does it? Well, uh, it depends. Uh, there's still a demand
1: on the consumer part. So you would say, well, so it's not a typical uh, recession that we're in, but people are still going to travel. Uh, when you walk down a grocery aisle and you look at the price on there, you could see almost everything has gone up, right? Any, any, any uh, core, uh, product what have you has gone up uh, but what's happening now is you look at the price on the aisle and let's say it's five dollars you say well it hasn't gone up since last week but what has happened is about a third less of the volume you know so less ounces less pieces etc so it's it's a little it's a deceptive correct number if i can say it that way and, and the same thing on what i'll call hidden inflation I bet if you, if you solicited your viewing audience and said, send me an example of where you've experienced a personal price increase in a service provided to you at your home, whether it's a gardening, whether it's a utilities, uh, whether it's phone service, et cetera, I guarantee you they're going to say they, they have felt it. So it's not the typical uh, recession that you would think we've experienced before. Look, I went back 40 years ago when they're comparing it to that my mortgage was eighteen percent. I felt it. I mean, it was a real inflation. I think there's still some spent-up demands here, uh, where people are traveling. Right to your point. I mean, there's still. You look at the airlines, and they're inundated with volume. Uh, they just having a tough time servicing it because of employees, because of fuel prices, uh, because of of uh, people on the tarmac, baggage handlers. Just go down the list. So it it is a very different type of recession. But if you look at some of like autos right now, you know, used car prices are up. uh, Electric vehicle prices are up 44%. Utilities used to, you know, recharge that battery are up 40%. So I don't know, you know, people are still saying, well, what about the volume? I mean, take one of the largest beverage companies, they they reported a 5% revenue increase, right? So, well, things are good. Well, then if you ask the second question, which people don't ask, how did you get that? Well, 12% was on price. Price was up 12%, mix was up, and it wasn't really on pure volume. So we really have to ask the tough second question, is it price, is it mix, or is it volume? And that's where you get to the real truth here about where we are, Andy.
0: You've expressed some pretty strong views on the Fed hiking rates uh, to ward off inflation. Why do you think we'll have such a negative effect on consumers who maybe are still feeling good a little bit? And what do you think the Fed should be doing, Bob?
1: Well, first of all, the Fed is the only part of the administration that's doing anything positively. There's only proof positively to try and dampen inflation. But again, you know, having spent a lot of time at Home Depot, I'm, you know, I have some of these old habits. I'm looking at lumber prices, I'm looking at building permits, et cetera you look at housing, look, you, you can go online now and you could already already see where people are uh, taking their home prices down, right? Because they know the market is tightening up and they don't want to get stuck with a, with an asset, with a home, because in you know the, the mortgage rates now go up, 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 right? So I'm starting to see price reduction on existing homes. I'm starting to see home permits drop. I'm starting to see lumber prices drop. So the Fed is, uh, is doing what they have to do to try to dampen this thing down. It's painful. None of us like it. But at least it's, uh, it's doing something positively to try and slow this thing down before it gets totally out of control. All
0: right, you're throwing shade at the administration, Bob. If President Nardelli was in the White House, then what would you do if, you, if it was your administration?
1: Yeah, well- uh, that would never happen, but let, let me share some thoughts on what I what I might do. Um, you know, I ran GE Power Systems for four or five years. So I have a little bit of experience on, on the energy side. And I think we have woefully uh, surrendered our energy independence on the first day of inauguration. I would go back and open up the fracking on government land. I'd reissue some permits. We keep hearing a lot of these 9,000 permits, Andy, but, you know, as, as an old oil and gas guy, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to go out and survey, you have to construct before you can produce, right? So those are a longer term fix that is legitimately true, but we need something today. So that, that's number one. Number two, at one point we had over 500 container ships floating on the water. We had to pay $28,000 for a 40-foot container that we used to pay two or $3,000 to move product, you know, from Asia or Europe here. So we talked about increasing, you know, the, energy, the, the, the uh, ability to unload these containers uh, 24-7. That has not happened. Let's get the core of engineers. Let's get people in there that know how to do this and get goods moving. That's going to help price. It's going to help, in many of my smaller companies, allow us to get critically needed parts and components to complete uh, 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 an assembly, we're in some cases sitting on $50 million of inventory for the lack of a part. And so therefore we can't deliver to our key customer. So I would get supply chain going again, right? I would look at some of the other issues we have out there relative, look, baby formula. Why, why, wouldn't, we, why wouldn't we just move on that turbo, right? Let's get the right people, the right technology in place, go to those plants that are producing formula here in the country and get it up and running with FDA approval. There's a million things we could do, Andy, if we were serious about trying to get this economy uh, stitched back together in a meaningful way. I I just, look, I I just don't see it happening, I'm sorry.
0: Well, just to follow up on uh, your first point about energy independence and opening up more drilling, Bob, aren't you concerned about climate change, though? And you know, even if that's temporary, that's heading us in the wrong direction on that front.
1: Now, look, we're all we all support climate change. We all support reducing CO two. Uh, the issue is the way and the speed with which we try to get there. Uh, you know, you talk to any CEO, and you try to turn that battleship, you know, in 30 days, and you're going to have a problem. So. I think there's a steady, predictable way to get there. I don't think we need to penalize, I don't think we need to penalize the people you know, within this country that are suffering right now with gasoline prices. So you know, some of them, are, I, I, I spoke to a, a person this morning and she had to quit her job because she was driving 30 miles a day and now she's gonna to try to find a job closer to home. These are true stories of the hardship that's being imposed as we try to transition, I think we all support a transition of climate change, CO2 reduction. It is the rate with which we can digest that. And, and the fact is, Andy, if we, if we went 100% electric, you couldn't charge your car anyway. You couldn't charge it anyway. Our, our grid system, the infrastructure, and the amount of power required, you know, we'd have to, uh, like China. They're, they're, look at the number of coal plants they're building right now. And is that, isn't that going to offset the global climate issue? I mean, it is, it is one, one universe that we're operating in.
0: Right. Well, I guess you could argue we don't want to be like them. But, and, and I hope you're, you're not suggesting that we start building tons of coal plants, right? Oh, no,
1: I, I'm not. I'm just using that mm-hmm. as an example. For everyone we close down, they're opening a couple more. Right. No, Look, there's, there's, there's significantly better solutions. Natural gas natural gas turbines, right? Um, We built a lot of them. Uh, During El Nino, we must have put, you know, several dozen LM6000s throughout New York to avoid the brownouts, which unfortunately we may experience this year.
0: Right. I wanna switch over to supply chain. Uh, Mentioned that you used to be the CEO of Chrysler. Wanna ask you about the deficit of computer chips in the automotive industry and any other issues that you see as being particularly troublesome when it comes to supply chain, Bob?
1: Yeah, so you, you've hit on the biggest one right now, uh, Andy, in that you know, these critical chips, our cars have become mobile computers, if you will. I mean, the amount of electronics, the average person may not know, but uh, your, your accelerator is, is, is no longer actuated by cable, but it's a wireless connection. Electronic brakes, electronic wipers, So all of that takes electronics. Uh, I'm sure you're hearing as I do, that a lot of the features, not the safety features, but a lot of the uh, add-on features that have developed over the years uh, to make sure you stay within the right lane, uh, backup devices, positive separation, et cetera. Those chips are being redeployed to higher margin vehicles. So again, back to my point, price increase, uh, shifting to higher margin vehicles, and therefore, you know, what we're seeing is the average price on an ICE internal combustion engine is also higher now because of availability, and and you could criticize the energy industry, you can criticize the auto industry, you know, why aren't we holding prices down? Well, because their cost is going up, and somewhere that has to be uh, adjusted for and unfortunately, a lot of it's being passed on to the consumer today, Andy, unfortunately.
0: Let's talk about your career a little bit as a manager. How did you get your first job at GE, Bob?
1: Well, so that's a great story. And uh, I graduated in, in 1971, and the job market was uh, flat to down. And so, you know, I interviewed uh, when I got out of school, and I was going to sell life insurance. I had an offer to go to work in a management training program for a large uh, steakhouse kind of an affair, and then the good Lord looked down on me and felt sorry for me, and I I got a job at General Electric as a manufacturing engineer in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, on the factory floor uh, in refrigeration department. And uh, from there, I went through a two-year program at GE so that I took my core curriculum from college. And really reprofile that to think the way GE thought, whether it was designed for experiments, accounting, et cetera. And then, after two year rotational program, I uh, went went on to got my MBA at the University of Louisville. and uh, so I've been very fortunate to be given opportunities. I think I've seized those opportunities and and uh, delivered on those. And uh, over the course of the years, Andy, I was able to get increasing levels of responsibility and accountability at GE. Uh, we moved 13 times uh, over the course of my career and each one with more responsibility, more accountability, but the opportunity to continue to build my toolbox of experience. So uh, the portability of what I learned has been tremendously helpful, but equally important is the teams I've been able to build and uh, you know, to set a strategy, uh, delegate, hold accountable, and see the kind of results uh, if you take Home Depot where you know we went from forty billion to over ninety billion in five years, opened a thousand stores, created home Depot supply, went from zero to number one in Mexico so those things are are the thrill of victory, and uh, we had one tremendous team in place uh, to be able to accomplish that in. <laughs>
0: Want to ask you a follow-up about GE and you worked with Jack Welch, knew him. I think your nickname at one point was little Jack because you're friendly with him and had a close relationship. But of course people are now calling into question his tenure and his management style. There was a, a book recently about that. Um, I'm sure you thought a lot about this Bob and I'm wondering what your take on Jack Welch is today.
1: Yeah. So Andy, it's a, uh... It's a very uh, emotional uh, and sensitive point you bring up. Uh, I have only the highest regard for Jack Welch. He was uh, a tremendous mentor, tremendous supporter of me and thousands of other individuals in in my position. One of my uh, things I'm most proud of is in his book when he said Bob Nardelli is the best operating guy he's ever had, right? Ever worked with. So with Jack, it was... It was kind of a quid pro quo. He set expectations that encourage you to reach and stretch to reach goals you otherwise may not have achieved and hold you accountable. But he was he was a demanding individual, but he had a big heart. Jack knew my wife, knew my children, and he was the individual that could be very stern and and give you, uh, uh, you know, constructive feedback but he would still put his arm around you and, uh, you know, make you feel extremely important. And so he had the magic of being able to, you know, challenge you for delivery and at the same time, make sure that you, you were highly regarded and respected. And is if he knew you were stretching and and taking a swing, uh, he would encourage that even if you didn't get it. Right. So, I mean, I can give you example of example after Jack and, you know, his kindness and his understanding and his people skills were as equally as strong as his business acumen. He knew that business, he was, uh, he was a real special breed that could run a conglomerate. Many people can't do that as we saw, you know, uh, more and more today where individuals are, are being challenged and you got activists trying to break up companies because they aren't able to run a conglomerate which gives you the flexibility and gives you the the optionality to push and pull businesses to be able to deliver on your commitment to those critical shareholders that have entrusted their money into uh, into your leadership, Andy.
0: Just to follow up and maybe push back a little bit on that, Bob. So, two part question. First of all, was that book "The Man Who Broke Capitalism"? Do you, was that a fair assessment? And then, if Jack was all that, then what happened to the company after he left? I'm, I'm was it all Jeff Immelt's fault, or, or what do you think? Well,
1: as it we would relate to the book, let me be careful in that. Uh, you know, hopefully you would have had the experience that Jack had before you could criticize him. And so it's it's uh, second. I think it's a little. I don't think it's appropriate to go after someone that's passed away, that doesn't have the ability to uh, defend themselves. So that's just my point of view. I mean, I know some people have applauded that book. I'm not one of them, but that's my opinion, you know? And he's, he's, he's welcome to his opinion. The people that support that book are welcome to theirs. All I can tell you is, is someone that lived with him for 30 years probably is in a better position to comment than, than an observer. That's number one. And number two, geez, it's, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. To see what happened to uh, GE, you know, it's uh, I put 30 plus years of my life in it, and uh, thousands, thousands of of individuals at every level, you know, I've built a relationship with, and uh, to have something something that was at the top, the highest performer, highest market capitalization, uh, to now see that it's barely a fraction of what it was. Is uh, is heartbreaking, and so whether it was the leader, whether it was the board, whether it was the economy, whether it was competition, uh, it could have been any one or all of those things that, unfortunately, you know, has uh, GE where it is today. And it's it is. Uh, I, I can tell you when we when we get together, some of us, uh, you know, senior senior people, and uh, you know, look back on our experience there, it's it's we look back with tremendous pride and and joy. And it's just sad to see where it is today.
0: You ran Home Depot, as I said, Chrysler, you also uh, were the CEO of a gun company for a couple of years on an interim basis. What was that like? And what does that business need to do better, Bob?
1: Yeah. So what you're referring to, uh, Andy, when I went uh, after after uh, leaving Chrysler, I went back to Cerberus Capital and I was CEO of service operation advisory company. We had about uh, 40, 40, uh, 40 companies. We were doing an equal amount in uh, in revenue uh, of those companies. And so we had a team of about 150 to 175 individuals. And at times, we would create the office of the CEO when there was a change in the business leader. And we did that at Remington. We did it at Bluebird Bus. We did it at New Page. We did it at uh, Cebu Holdings over in, in Tokyo, Bawa Bank in Vienna. And so uh, running, running uh, a, a gun company had tremendous challenge to it. Uh, you know, obviously, even more so today with all of the issues with, uh, you know, the culture and the environment that's out there today, you know, anti-police, defund the police, et cetera, what we see on crime rates today in every major city uh, adds to the complication of people that are illegally getting access to, uh, to firearms. So we were, we were really committed to, you know, high quality, good control. You know, we didn't have, um, you know, we, we didn't have uh, large magazines at the time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's unfortunate how that industry has progressed. And as a result has, has gotten entwined with many of these un, very, very unfortunate loss of lives around the country. So it was, um, you know, it had its place, uh, for outdoor sporting, et cetera. Unfortunately, a lot of those, uh, uh a lot of that armament now has been misplaced and misused Andy. very unfortunate.
0: Running a business as you've suggested, Bob, today is, is just gets more complicated. I mean, you've got, it's a digital world. Um, it's a COVID world. You have to, uh, be aware of diversity, equity and inclusion. How different is it and what's important for an executive to focus on going forward?
1: Yeah, well, you, you hit it on ESG, right? Uh, the environment, social and governance. And, uh, and, and all of us now as CEOs and our companies are being asked to do a report on an annual basis, a disclosure report of what you're doing on ESG. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was at Home Depot, uh, we were, I think, one of the leaders in, in that area from the standpoint of we hired 35,000 veterans, and uh, we were recognized, you know, to help veterans get back into the workforce. Uh, we had probably the largest number uh, of, of National Guard called up during that period of time, and we had a, a, a blue star flag in our hallway for every, uh, every employee, every associate that was called back. Uh, we made sure that their pay, if they were getting paid less in their position in the government, in, in the military, we made up their pay. If they had a problem at home, we would fix it for them. Uh, we set up call centers at the time, 30 minute increments where they could talk to their loved ones their family. We had a re-immersion program. So we took that whole issue of, of diversity and inclusion uh, way back during you know 2000, 2005, during some of the skirmishes. So the environment, again, we're, we're all being asked to report uh, carbon footprint, not only within the company you're running, but downstream in your supplier base. And so all of that, I think, is moving in the right direction. And back to our earlier discussion, I think it's a, it's a thoughtful, manageable way to move towards reducing the foot, carbon footprint in our, in our country. Uh, if you try to push that too hard, too fast, I think we're going to have some some dislocation uh, out there today. So environmental, social, and governance, I think we're seeing governance also at the board level. We're seeing more diversity. We're seeing more inclusion. Boards are becoming more aware of that. They're having to report that on a more regular basis in their proxy reports or annual reports. So I, I think you know, moving forward with ESG is, is, is a good thing.
0: And final question, Bob. What would you like your legacy to be?
1: Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I I uh, I think looking back on what we accomplished in each of these businesses, you know, what I was able to do with the teams and the succession planning that we put in place. You know, if you look at uh, the person running uh, Tractor Supply today came out of Home Depot. If you look at the person that's running Lowe's today, came out of Home Depot. If you look at the individual running floor and decor today, came out of Home Depot. Uh, The person running Home Depot today, I hired in 2002. So to me, being able to mentor, coach, and present opportunities for them to grow both individually and grow the business they were assigned to is, uh, is very, very important to me. I think the other thing, my legacy, hopefully, is, you know, I have four children, three grandchildren, and hopefully I've been able to impart, you know, hard work. What I look for is people that have energy, the ability to energize, they have a childlike entrepreneurial spirit, and then the bottom line is that they execute. So if, if my legacy can be, you know, four great children, three great grandchildren, my wife and I have been married 51 years. And uh, I'd like to think that uh, that the businesses I've been fortunate enough to work in are are better today than than you know when we got there.
0: Bob Nardelli, CEO of XLR8, former CEO of Chrysler, former CEO of Home Depot. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Andy. I've enjoyed it. I hope uh, hope we get to do it again. Thank you.
0: You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.